Community radio is your antidote to social isolation. Stay connected and listen to 3CR. 855 AM, 3CR digital and streaming and podcasting online at 3cr.org.au. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join your hosts Anne and Kevin the second and fourth Friday of each month on The Sewer Show between 5.30 and 6.30pm here on 3CR Community Radio. This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions for the unemployed and underemployed. Everyone in our community has value. out of doors every day. Think how much dust and dirt settle on your skin. And makeup clings to your skin, too, and clogs pores. That's why your face needs a thorough cleansing each day. And that's why cleansing tests were made by an independent testing laboratory. This same kind of dirt was made just radioactive enough to register on a garden
It's uh, Friday the 28th of August, the fourth Friday of the month, and we're here for Unemployed Workers Fight back on 3CR. How are you, Anne? Oh, hey, Kevin. How are you? <laughs> I'm in my imaginary Friday here. Well, for, for the listeners, we have to pre-record because of restrictions, but so we have to imagine that it's Friday. But for the listeners, it's real. It really is Friday. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking, and we were going to have a bit more of a laid-back show, and it never happened. But this time, I'm taking over, Anne. I'm uh, enforcing a casual Friday on you. I'm hyperventilating because I can't do anything. <laughs> we're going to have an easy week this week, an easy week. And that started by sliding into the show with uh, that song by Alice Ivy called Charlie. This show, we're going to wing it a bit. No professors of economics. Laid back economics, hey? <laughs> Correct. We're going to throw in a casual guest. We're going to throw in a bit of music. We're going to take it easy. Easy listening economics. I love it. La- laid back economics, yeah. So this week, I'm bringing in an old friend of mine who I've known from way back, uh, and she is directly connected to people who are doing it tough. So laid back, but uh, with some edge. Kevin, speaking of doing it tough, I was reading this article in The Guardian the other day and it was written by Josephine Tovey back on the 13th of August, and she was describing some of the experience of being in lockdown. She was saying things like, the pandemic means that we don't live in a timeline anymore. It's more of a time soup, and the days are just bleeding together. I no longer know what the passage of time is. And I thought, how interesting that there's this experience of, you know, no structure of work in your life, you know, so we're all moaning and groaning that we're in this lockdown, but nobody's thought, wow, now we're experiencing what it's like to have no money and you can't go out, you've got to sit at home. And if you do go out, you can't go, you know, into the restaurants, you can't go into the movies. So welcome to the world of the unemployed, uh, all you people out there who didn't know what it was like. Of course, if you were unemployed pre-COVID, you were doing it on less than $300 a week, you still couldn't find work and you were referred to as a dull bludger. So... I hope that at the very least uh, some empathy evolves from this episode because comparatively speaking, if you're on double the money now, you're doing it easy. If you empty out your bank account and throw a few unpaid invoices on your desk, then you're getting closer to the to the real world of unemployed. Exactly. So so this is like the, what is it, the uh, reality TV version of everyone gets to, to experience a little bit of what it's like to be unemployed. So I hope a bit of that empathy will go a long way and uh, people will understand why we need to keep the job keeper and the job seeker going for as long as that for as long as they need to really yeah they're important programs I, they go against the ideology of the coalition but I don't think they've got any choice they're gonna to have to keep it rolling along somebody pointed out to me the other day that the job keeper job seeker and the other programs like the arts package which is 250 million which is pretty pathetic compared to the 90 billion that was offered to the finance industry. Uh, but all of that's sort of adding up to the biggest spending the government's done since World War Two. Yep, and we didn't even have a war. We just had a, a bad flu season, you know. <laughs> we just had so. a, a really bad case of the flu. The funny thing about that is that uh, the money is not putting anyone into any debt. I'll say it again. That spending of that money has not put anyone into any debt that needs to be paid back, and they can keep on spending as long as we need it. Now, um, inflation, according to the conservative conservative economics, is supposed to start skyrocketing when the government just prints money, as they say. But here we are. We've got uh, hundreds of billions of dollars being injected into the economy, and inflation's going backwards. So it turns out that Milton Friedman was wrong. (laughs) It's really interesting. I was thinking the other day, and what's the difference between 
government spending and printing money because I know the economists are always wanting to make that distinction and they always say that the spending of money into existence by the government is not the same thing as printing money. And I was thinking, oh, well, what is the difference? And I think it primarily comes down to the idea that spending money is attached to some kind of outcome. So when the government uh, passes a bill and says, let there be $1,500 of fortnight going into the bank account of anybody who uh, needs it in the job keeper, that is an outcome which is saying, let there be money that goes to that person to enable them to pay their bills. Whereas if you're just printing money and throwing it in the streets, and that could cause inflation if it's not properly attached to an outcome or it's not properly attached to your real resources. Except Wayne Swan did that during the GFC. Uh, there was the cash handout um, and people were free to spend the money any way they want if you qualified it. And I did qualify at the time. I had a couple of young kids and I think there might have been a couple of attachments to it. But it was basically just a, hey, we need people to go out and spend money. Otherwise, the shops are going to close. Here's some money. Uh, and it didn't have a bad effect. It worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm still waiting for the show that we're going to do about inflation because whether spending is inflationary depends on so many different things, including your level of um, household debt and that sort of thing. So Anyway, yeah. you're... You're beginning to get us back into this economic talk, Oops. and you're getting and and we're not going there this week. Okay, we're steering away from it. We're, an we're, keep, we're keeping about it real. See, People. if I give you give you two inches, and you'll take two miles. Right See, into and, and radio here we are off. mmt at gmail dot com and say we want more <laughs> economics. Yeah, you can have that. You can have that on the second Friday. This is the fourth Friday, and the fourth Friday is kickback Friday, and we're kicking back. Oh, so it. this week we've got an old friend of mine, Shannon Ward who works in the AV industry. She was, she was a lighting person like myself. And I haven't seen Shannon for quite some time. Last I saw, she was one of my gun crew when I had a little uh, crewing operation going, and that was about 10 years ago. And now she's living in Queensland. So what's happened in between, Shannon? Where have you been? I've been doing a few different things. I was working at Chameleon Touring Systems in Brisbane for seven years. Then I uh, jumped ship off that and went to the Commonwealth Games. And now I work for a company called Hemisphere Management Group and we're a unique company. We do medical and safety officers, close protection security at events. That was a thriving business until I think it was the 13th of March and then it just stopped. When everything came to a grinding halt. Yes, and uh, we were in the thick of it at the Formula One. So we were working on the concert at the Formula One. So it was a very surreal experience to be standing there and going, the Formula One's been cancelled and we were still loading in. But everyone kind of was loading in very slowly because we were about to get the official word. So I I sat in the grandstands and I, I watched people bringing out the chairs until I saw someone get a phone call, put his phone down and the chair started going back in the truck. The, the Grand Prix was, was the worst, what would you say, example of, of what how this happened because they didn't find out until the actual day, which means all the hard work's been done. You know, um, Do you remember uh, Mick Davis? Well, he used to work on the, fo- the forklifts for the Grand Prix and he'd be forklifting uh, stands and, and bollards and bits of concrete around for about four or five months beforehand, setting the whole thing up. It takes a long time to okay. set it up. So they've, they've done all the work to set up this event and on the day of the event, after everything's been done, they cancel it, which is the worst time to do it. Yeah, 
and it was fully set up, ready to go. And then, you know, a call was made at about three o'clock in the afternoon. So everyone was everyone was told to tidy up what they were doing and then go home and we'll come back fresh tomorrow and start packing up. And being the Formula One, like the logistics involved with, you know, getting parts of the track removed to get trucks in and out, like that was a huge nightmare and no one knew an answer to it anyway. So it was we can't reinvent the wheel. Everyone just go home. We'll come back in the morning, start packing it up, and then we'll figure out how we get out of here because no one's going to have the answers to that right now. That's what I find fascinating about all this moment with the pandemic is that you start to hear how industries operate. So all these things that go on behind the scenes that you wouldn't normally hear about, (laughs) now you get to hear all these great stories of what people get up to in their working lives. So, Shannon, you're no longer working in lighting, but you're working on large events. So explain to us exactly what you do. You've got a, you're a medical provider for the events industry as such. On stadium events, we would have paramedic contractors on the events. So para- this is looking after the crew. So we have paramedics and safety officers looking after the crew on outdoor events from the first day of load-in all the way through the last day of load-out. And we'd also had a medical concierge service for the artists, which is the only type of service in the country. If the, any of the, uh, the band or crew were unwell and needed a doctor to come to their hotel or to their venue, we would make that happen. Or if they needed a specialist appointment, we would arrange that for them. Can you give us an example of uh, some of the things that might have happened? And you can uh, protect the names if, if, if you need, need be. <laughs> it could be the event industry. Uh, yes, 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 yes. I've had calls from security guards like like the artist personal security guard while on a private jet and being an hour out of Sydney saying we're an hour out of Sydney and we'd like to see a specialist in between the airport and our hotel just make that happen. So then I was trying to call a specialist which you normally can't get in with for 8 to 12 weeks cold calling them and going okay because they needed to be on the on the route. They weren't going to divert their route. So I had to find somewhere on the way and then call them and say, I need to get an appointment today. And they, they laughed at me until I said, it's this person. They're like, let me just get back to you. And they called me back five minutes going, yeah, we've cleared some space and uh, we can fit you in. So names have some cachet. Yeah. It looks good on the resume and it's um, a good story for a dinner party. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Doctors get a bit of a kick out of it as well. The specialists are usually in their their 40s or 50s, you know, they've been doing doctoring for a long time and sometimes a lot of exciting stuff doesn't happen to them. So if they're clearing their schedule and getting an artist in, you know, that's a highlight for them. And a lot of times they get thanked by coming along to the show and having backstage passes. So those kind of things money can't buy. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au.
to Unemployed Workers Fight Back on 3CR. That was a band called Raging Moby uh, with their song called Listen to Me. Uh, Raging Moby are a band, uh, there's a fella, Declan, who I know, he's a festival buddy of mine, uh, and he's got this little outfit going called Raging Moby. That song's probably never been played on the radio before, so good on you, Declan, and a shout-out to your brothers Xavier and Patrick. I can't wait to run into you guys again at the next festival. It's been a little bit too long. Sure, it's happening. Now, this week on Unemployed Workers Fight Back, we're speaking with an old industry friend of mine, Shannon Ward, about the impact of the economic downturn on the events industry. There's a view that the coalition regards the arts and entertainment industry, particularly the music industry, as something of a hobby. The constant cry when I started in the industry back in the 1980s was, when are you going to get a real job? And that, that probably still uh, exists to some, to some degree uh, these days. Absolutely, yep. The arts, music and events industry contributes billions of dollars to the Australian economy, generates tens of thousands of jobs, provides a product to the, everybody in the Australian community. And it's a constant frustration for me that conservative governments don't regard it as a real industry, that it's a hobby. Yeah, and, and I had the same thing growing up. I was always asked when I was going to get a real job. I was actually very lucky because it's, it's one thing being a, a male in the industry, but a female being in the industry, you, you do have to stay home and look after your kids a bit more. You can't run off on tour when you've got young children. Uh, so it was very hard and I was very fortunate that I was given a full-time job at Chameleon Touring in Brisbane when my daughter was 12 weeks old. So it was you know the job the job's available here it's full-time it gives you stability and you can bring your child to work so both of my children grew up in the office floor at <laughs> chameleon lighting so that's great good on them that's, that's fantastic yes so I, I was extremely lucky because those there's there's not a lot of full-time jobs in the industry and that was something that I strove for from the moment I moved to Brisbane was to to get a full-time job and have some some stability to not have that constant worry over your head. But it was the, the full-time jobs are very few and far. So if you're not working full-time, uh, what's it like? How do you get work? It, it has been an industry where it has always had its, I guess, stresses of knowing when you, where your next job's going to come in. There's a, there's a lot of freelancers in the industry and you just jump from job to job. And if you're good at, good at your job, things will get thrown your way and you'll have fairly consistent work through your career. Um, I was always fairly lucky, but I know that there were probably three or four winters when I was living and working in Melbourne and it would get that quiet. And even if you were a lighting designer or a lighting operator, you would go and unload trucks and you'd do whatever it took to keep food on your plate and pay your rent during winter. But there were three or four winters in Melbourne when I lived there that I had to call my mum and dad at some stage and go, I need I need $500 or $1,000 just to get through this winter. And that was usually all. And I was very lucky because I was, I usually didn't have much of a problem with employment. But that, that was the nature of the industry. When it got down to winter, would you, would you have a job? The unemployment benefit system wasn't kicking in for you then? No, because you'd have to prove that you hadn't been working and didn't have an income for so long. And it was only usually, well, for myself anyway, it was usually only a few weeks where I was in trouble. So I, I did try to budget very well. It's hard to budget when you go to your, 
on that kind of income as well because you can go out making you know a couple of grand a week and be away from home and tour the country for for several weeks but you get home and you you sleep for a week and then you want a week off because you've worked so hard and then you haven't worked for two weeks so making a couple of grand a week really doesn't equate to much when you just take two weeks off after every time you do it. I've found that casual workers uh, have the hardest trouble negotiating the social security system. Um, And I think a lot of our listeners would appreciate that. And it's because it's almost like the eligibility requirements and like you said, the waiting periods to get pay and all of that sort of thing. They're still thinking we're in the 1970s, you know, where people were having like, you know, more of your workforce was in regular full-time work. And actually, as more and more people are in casual work and not just in the events industry, but all throughout the industries, including academics and obviously the hospitality industry and all those industries, and it's always the casuals that fall between the cracks on um, what kind of support that they can get from the government. And in fact, it was the casuals that were hardest hit with the robo-debts. The robo-debts almost could have been designed to hit casual workers. So it's an unfriendly space, the social security space, for people who work, you know, gig to gig or whatever. Yeah, the one thing I have heard from um, this whole JobKeeper thing is if you do employ somebody for a certain amount of hours per week that you do have to make them full-time or permanent part-time after a certain period, and I know that there was a lot of companies out there, not just in the entertainment industry, but a lot of companies out there who do employ people eight hours a day, five days a week, but without giving them security of anything else above casual employment. I have heard from several people now because of the all the JobKeeper stuff, all the companies when you've had to apply for JobKeeper, all the information you've supplied, they've gone, well, I think it's going to come back on them going, well, these people should have been full-time and not casual. If there's anything to gain out of this, hopefully there is some follow-up to those companies, you know, afterwards. And, you know, hopefully it doesn't come back and hurt, hurt the entertainment industry any further. But like I said, it's lots of industries out there where they have people that are casually employed just so that, you know, if they do have a, a rough couple of weeks, they cannot pay them, which is a terrible instability. It was part of the existing, as they say, structural problems in the economy that were there from the GFC and, and even further back. And that was already creating a fragile economy. And so, as you say, all all these weaknesses are being exposed with this pandemic. So... Um, I think it really is up to everyone to get a bit galvanised and, you know, support the ACTU and other unions who are really trying to fight against this casualisation. It's entirely unnecessary when you look at maybe sometimes the hours that are actually put in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back, a show all about the economics and experience of unemployment and underemployment here on 3CR Community Radio.
listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. So we just heard from a band called LS Death, LS Death and their song Desire. Uh, now I found I found LS Death. I, I, I lent my son, Riley, my little practice guitar amp months ago and I asked Riley, can I have my amp back again? And he said, it's, it's around at Reef's place. And so I've had to go to Reef's place to pick up my little amp. And uh, so Reef's got this band called LS Death that's just been signed. And he said... Do you want to hear some of my stuff? And I said, yeah. And there you go. That was Desire. I'm going to play another track later on. If nothing else, this slowdown is uh, resulting in some really good music being created uh, by Reef and his band LSD and uh, my mate uh, Declan in his band uh, Raging Moby. Uh, it's all good stuff. I'll play a bit more um, a bit more of LS Death later on. Now, this week on Unemployed Workers Fight Back, we're speaking to an enter- entertainment industry friend of mine, Shannon Ward. We've been discussing how casuals often fall through the cracks and how uh, JobKeeper missed a whole lot of people in the industry. So, Shannon, uh, what's uh, what's been happening out there in freelancer world? A lot of people on ABNs have been able to get the JobKeeper, so they've they've survived. A lot of people who do film and television are really hurting because they actually get temporary contracts. So you get employed for a period of of the shoot, be it film or or television shoot. And because that's a a temporary contract, you don't uh, have an ABM. Yeah, so there's no continuous work, but also you were not eligible for JobKeeper. So those people in a huge world of pain, and that's not just uh, the crew, that's also the actors as well. There's a huge amount of people out there hurting. I'm just curious whether you can see any sort of structural changes to the industry or the way the arts is funded or anything like that that would actually um, promote stability in the industry? I don't know. I don't I don't think so just because of the nature of the business and we're going to be so much more fragmented once this pandemic is over because there's a lot of people who haven't survived. There's a lot of crew who've been burnt. They've been doing this their whole life and this has really scared them. Talking to people when you spoke to them at the start of the pandemic versus talking to people now, there was a a person in the industry in Melbourne who passed away early this week and it was a it was a band I'd done some work with when I first moved to Melbourne in 2001 and I was talking to the sound guy from that band he basically when I called him he was like I don't I don't have any tears left anymore like and it wasn't just from this instance it's just been the the whole thing he was just everyone's so exhausted it's like you know I'm almost emotionless now I'm just sad that there is such a lack of support and such a, a lack of, of knowing when you're going to get your next gig and, and what's going to happen. So there's a huge amount of people I know who are retraining at the moment, whether it be a university course or getting a Cert 3 or a Cert 4 in something else that gives them a job that's actually not in the industry. And that's going to be devastating to the industry because you're going to lose so many good people. So when it eventually all fires up, are we going to have the people to run the, run the shows? Exactly. So even in the good times, it sounds like if there was some kind of version of an income between gigs, that that would really help. And and sounds like it would really help with all those stresses, the financial stress and so on, that 
you know, it sounds like you were seeing even before the COVID-19 and before everyone was put into lockdown. That's that's the nature of the, of the industry is this, this constant roller coaster of uh, you'd have a boom time. The hours that you work are just split up. It's not uncommon to do 12, 14, 16 hour days. Uh, you might have some breaks in amongst those hours, but your sleep is disrupted, you're traveling, uh, you come back, you've got Good, good money in your pocket and then it goes because like you say you've got to wait for the next gig it sometimes takes a bit of time one of the really good bands I worked with was Hunters and Collectors who paid a good weekly wage and then when they had downtime they paid and this is back in the 80s they paid like uh, it was like $220 a week retainer so that when you weren't working they held you over so that you could afford to keep your rent uh, paid, etc., until they went back out on the road again. They were very unusual in that respect and a very fair and, and um, excellent band to work for in that respect. And the last time I saw you, Shannon, uh, was um, probably around 2009 when the GFC hit and my business got wiped out. So what you say is completely correct. Is you know after after 20 or 30 years of working in the industry and it's up and down the whole time. Uh, that crewing uh, organisation that I had hit hit the dust and uh, I was happy to get out of the industry. And this downturn is going to be a lot worse and there's going to be a lot more carnage. I don't know if you saw on the news recently, uh, the Prime Minister went to a Gold Coast production company, Creative Productions. Dave Jackson on the Gold Coast has a company called Creative Productions. He had the Prime Minister's ear for 10 minutes and, and spoke about the dire situation that the industry was in. And then a week and a half later, found out that his company was not eligible for any of the relief. So it's being <laughs> slammed as, you know, it's just a, a media stunt. It was a because, stunt. Yeah, a it's, a, it's stunt. A, media, a media stunt. It's like, here, here we are standing standing at a lighting console in the middle of a, a lighting factory that's full because there's no events on. And we're here to help and, and we're listening to you. And sorry, you're not actually eligible for any of the funding that we've got. So, Well, he's there to help his image. He's not there to help the people that need the help. And, and yeah. this is a bit, bit of a repeat of his performance at the bushfire. You know, photo opportunities, shaking hands, uh, yeah. lots of words um, and, and uh, very little follow through. And that's why they call him Scotty from marketing. When he does his marketing, when he puts on an event, <laughs> guess, guess who makes him look good? We do. Exactly. We do. Yep. Exactly. I've got to stop doing that. It, it occurs to me that there's uh, one form of government support that could be uh, extended and offered quite easily. Um, because uh, one thing we've been discussing on this show, Shannon, is the fiscal capacity of the government to stimulate the economy. Um, the, the current circumstances we have uh, are such that the Conservative governments rely on the private sector to, uh, to drive the economy. They say government needs to take a, a back step, keep an arm's distance from the economy, and the private sector is what drives the economy, and that's where all the uh, all the energy and all the stimulant needs to come from. Well, in the current circumstances, that's not going to work because the, the private sector is collapsing because uh, because of the um, the COVID. And and what we've seen is that the government does have capacity to fiscally stimulate stimulate the economy. It's done it through JobKeeper. It's done it through JobSeeker, nationalised uh, childcare. It has infinite capacity to inject currency into the economy to keep uh, things ticking over so that people can pay their rent, can buy food, etc., etc., if they want to. So it then comes down to ideology. I think uh, in the arts industry, state governments certainly have uh, touring programs. We might need to see, from a federal point of view, more funding heading towards those sorts of programs where they're paying for and providing the funds to support music and the arts 
on something of a national level uh, and start becoming involved uh, as opposed to keeping an arm's distance. And arts funding has been strangled and reduced uh, ever since to the point now where it's it's becoming uh, very, very difficult to survive as an arts organisation uh, altogether. That needs to be reversed and, and on a, a massive scale. With all the restriction, all the, all the state border restrictions, it might be WA bands have to do those big regional tours in WA and go to all the outback places and go up north and go down south and the same with Queensland. And it might have to be where every, every state has to support their own artists to travel around while, while this is happening because there's going to be a segue out of this eventually and if we don't start working when we can, there might not be anyone left. We won't have performers, we won't have technicians, we won't have people to, to um, resuscitate the, the industry when it's, uh, when it's needed to. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's one of the things we always say about the economics of this is that we know that because the Australian federal government issues Australian dollars, that when it's making uh, spending decisions, it's not the money that's the limit, it's the resources, which is do you have people out there? Do you have the equipment? Do you have the skills and all of that? What we always say then is that the government always sets the unemployment rate. So I'd really, I'd love the whole arts industry and the entertainment industry, all the workers in that industry to understand that it is a choice of government about how much economic security they have as individuals. And um, I've always found that useful when I'm going through bouts of unemployment myself is to understand it's a structural issue. It's not about you as an individual not being able to get work, you know, not being wiped out at the end of a gig and and can't get off the sofa to go look for work. Well, that's not the problem, right? The problem is that the government is not supporting its workforce. So the government's got this $250 million package. Uh, $90 million is uh, is in concessional loans. So it's not $250 million, it's actually $160 million because uh, the rest of it's loans. That's all great. How about we don't have a limit on uh, what the package is? Like they didn't put a limit on the construction assistance program where you can get a new kitchen if you've got a $100,000 renovation going on. There's no limits on that. Um, so how about we take the limit off the, the arts funding? We get the federal government to fund state governments to do what Shannon's talking about, rather than a job keeper for sitting sitting at home, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of crew, there's plenty of performers who would rather have that $750 a week buffer. They'd love to be out there performing. Um, that's then going to stimulate accommodation. So if you've got the bands out there uh, touring around uh, the state, and even if it's just within the state, then people are going to go and visit them, and it's going to pick the economy up, and the shops will open, and the restaurants yeah, will open, yeah. and everything starts ticking off again. This, this is what needs to be understood. There's the plan, Kevin. <laughs> I hope they're listening out there. We've got the plan. Do you reckon, do you reckon ScarMo's <laughs> listening? Do you reckon Josh Frobenberg listens to 3CR on a, on a Friday afternoon? Probably not. Anyway, they can listen to the podcast afterwards. Yeah, so, so I, I always think there's a hope, there's hope out there, Shannon, for people who are seeing just bleak times and just seeing everything collapsing around them. There's actually a way out of this. I guess it's just uh, the right people listening to the right people on what has to be done. Because I think a lot of the, a lot of the people making the decisions are, are making decisions about money and where it goes in industries they have absolutely zero idea about, and that's that's where a, a huge problem is. It's very interesting how quickly they adopt socialist principles to protect the capitalist framework when it's not working. This has shown that they can chuck money and make a difference, 
and people are saying, well, make that difference now. We've got other emergencies. Let's spend some of that money seriously to reorientate the economy for public good and in the public interest, rather than saying, let the market provide. My hope is that they'll be bold with pressure to do things that build a more people-centred and focused future. And, you know, that comes down to us. It comes down to the 3CR listeners, the, the ACF and Friends of the Earth members, the trade unionists. It comes down to everybody that makes a difference and puts in. We need to build on the community that's been developed in the last couple of months and build on some of the smart ideas for a cleaner future. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate go to 3cr.org.au.
This is Jed Carney on 3CR. Unemployed workers fight back. Thanks, Jed. Uh, before that, we heard from LS Death and their song In the Gutter. Uh, now, that was a, a, a song that I picked up from Reef the other day and it still needs to go through some mastering. So that hasn't been played on radio before. It's all brand new stuff. Uh, there'll be a better version of that coming out in the future. This week, we're speaking with Shannon Ward, who's from Hemisphere Management Group, who look after the health and well-being of of crew and performers. Uh, I, I used to work with Shannon oh, up till about 10 years ago. We used to be lighting technicians, operators, designers. Uh, but Shannon, you've now moved into this new area. Uh, and from this, you've become in contact with a mob called Crew Care. Can you tell us a bit about them? Crew Care was formed because there were some people within our industry in crisis and no one could have predicted this year and now the whole industry is in crisis. So we're lucky we were there, but everyone's working hard because um, we're calling lots of people a day. We had a, as soon as the pandemic started, we started a thing where it's call, call three mates a day and check in and make sure they're okay. And that was all well and good at the start, but now it's been going on for so long. People don't have the energy to call their friends because they don't want to hear another person being, no, I'm not okay. And there's no end in sight right now. Part of the funding that Support Act have, they've directed towards crew care. We did mental health first aid courses. We're running two courses a month at the moment and training crew to be able to deal appropriately with their friends and help them out and know what to say when they're in crisis, but also look after themselves because if you're not in a good way, you can't take on anyone else's stuff because you'll drown. It's a very good course to do. I was luckily part of the group that did the first one that we did. And it was just the most amazing gift to be given to to have that knowledge of what to say to your friends. When we gave feedback to um, Clive, the CEO of Support Act, and told him how fantastic it, it was, he went, let's get as many people doing this as possible. Like You've got to arm the right people with the right information to help out the people in trouble. I think I saw uh, Crew Care and Support Act being uh, given some coverage on the Roadie Show, which is a little show, uh, online show. I think it's on, on YouTube. Uh, it's a show that's been developed by a bunch of unemployed technicians during the lockdown. Check out The Roadie Show. It's really, really worth having a look at. I've got, I've got a lot of mates who are working in that show. But look, can you give us some contact details for Support Act and for Crew Care? Crew Care, if you, if you go to the Crew Care website, which is crewcare.org, um, you can sign up to be a member of Crew Care. It's $10 for anyone in the industry and you just have to put down a couple of references and there is a form to fill out if you wanted to apply to do the mental health first aid course and Support Act, if you do um, need to call them, there's two numbers for Support Act. They have a crisis relief number. So if you're in crisis and you need help, it's one three hundred. 731303 1300 731303 is the crisis relief and they have a 24/7 wellbeing helpline which is 1800 959 500 so that's 1800 959 500 500 so that is support act so people within the industry you've got two great support networks of support act and crew care so please reach out to them because there are people out there that can help.
So how are they getting their funding? Crewcare does fundraising that, that goes to Support Act. Support Act does their own fundraising. A lot of musicians do events for free to get funding to Support Act. But also there was some government money that was given to the events industry, was given to Support Act to give out. So that can be accessed via the um, crisis relief grants for people who are in distress. So there's a little bit of government funding. There is a bit of government funding, yes, yes. And so that government funding is being used for crisis relief as well as it is paying for the mental health first aid courses as well. Well, thanks for that, Shannon. Uh, But girls, time is running away from us and we might need to sign off. Well, thanks for coming along and just explain to us because it's over my eyes too to what, what that industry is about. So it's been really interesting hearing from you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great catching up again, Shannon, and uh, love your work. You've always been a, a, one of the better workers, and it sounds like you've taken that to a whole new field and a whole new level, so good on you. Thanks a lot, Kev. It was always an absolute pleasure doing a, a job with you, and it was a, I must say it was only probably three weeks ago I was cleaning out uh, my back shed and I found my custom crewing polo shirt, and I, uh, hey. I took a photo of it. I'll have to send it to you because I, <laughs> I sort of went, do it. Do I hold on to these things? What do I do? There was a whole bunch of production polo shirts I found. Hold on to that one. It'll be worth a fortune. Yeah. (laughs) Good on you, Shannon. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. That's all we've got time for this week. We need to make room for Mafalda that's coming up next. We forgot to say thank you to Jacob for the Friday rave that was on before us. Jacob always does a good show. Uh, Of course, check out the Unemployed Workers Union, the Australian Unemployed Workers Union uh, on the website if you need information about being unemployed. They're a good resource. Uh, Anne and I are members of a group called Modern Money Australia. We get a lot of our uh, economic, macroeconomic information from modern monetary theory that explains a lot of our views. But uh, time we've got to go. So see you later. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join us the second and fourth Friday of each and every month as part of the Sewer Show on 3CR. Listen to this show as a podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. We thank all our guests, and I thank you, Anne. And I thank you, Kevin. Oh, no, no, the pleasure was all mine. Oh, no, Kevin, the pleasure was all mine. You mean all the pleasure was yours? Kevin, I think I took all the pleasure on this one. <laughs> well, if you took all the pleasure, that means I, there's no pleasure for me at all. I, oh. I quite enjoyed myself. So if you've got all the pleasure, then what, I had no I had no pleasure? I think we should share the pleasure. <laughs> well, we're going to have to share the pleasure because, you know, like, I don't mind you having the pleasure, that's great. So you have as much pleasure as you like, but don't take all the pleasure. Well, it was very pleasurable, so I'm glad that it was pleasurable for you and it was pleasurable for me. I think we've got a multiplier of pleasure here. That means it's doubly pleasurable. So if it was pleasurable for you in the first place, then it would be pleasurable for me. It's twice as pleasurable as before. That's a good thing.
Another teenage suicide In a street that has no trees I am the one 